The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends who's trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, how worried do we need to be about a breakdown in the Chinese economy. Who'd ever thought I'd start a show with that? I mean, look, if we don't get a trade deal with China sometime soon, I think this could be a real problem, which is one reason why the market couldn't get much traction today or yesterday. Today, the Dow backslid 13 points. It was up most of the day, but it really gave up the ghost in the last five minutes. S&P declining 0.11, and the Nasdaq giving up 0.02%. I know it seems like a flat line, but there was more to it than that. When the Washington Post prints a headline like, and I quote, China's Communist Party is battening down the hatches as the economy slows, end quote, you know that these worries have gone mainstream. As the PRC prepared to celebrate its 70th anniversary, the article talks about how this is not a sanguine time for China with a palpably slowing economy. China's GDP growth is decelerating from 6.6% last year, already the lowest number in decades, down to the 6, 6.5% range. Obviously, some of that is on us. The trade war is not good for the People's Republic. But this story gives you a sense that people in China are increasingly dissatisfied with President Xi's economic mismanagement. Hey, that drives to the story the Wall Street Journal published over the weekend about how Xi has doubled down on authoritarian measures in order to stifle dissent. Uh, far from being, say, China's all-powerful president for life, these pieces make me feel like the paramount leader of the People's Republic may be in a more perilous position. Remember, the old conventional wisdom was that China has an advantage in the trade war because they're a totalitarian regime that doesn't need to worry about pesky things like public opinion. The narrative was simple. She can just wait Trump out. Now we're hearing a very different tune. President Xi has been frantically trying to stimulate the Chinese economy to absolutely no avail. China's stock market has finally started rebounding, but why? Only because there's a newfound sense that maybe some hope, some hope, some hope that he might make a deal with President Trump. Just today, the journal published a pressure piece, an op-ed, called Behind China's Desire for a Trade Deal with Trump by Jonathan Kowalach, who contends that the regime is in real trouble. Listen to this. 
And I quote, if the Chinese economy teeters further, Mr. Xi will have to address his abiding worry. Instability. The writer goes on to suggest that the paramount leader may need to work very hard to ingratiate his subjects. Huh? <laughs> the president of China does not. He, he does, he's got to worry about public opinion. I mean, this is not how we're used to hearing about Xi. But if you remember, even Chairman Mao, well, he got sidelined when he wrecked the Chinese economy with that 1950s thing, the Great Leap Backward, as I call it. Meanwhile, President Trump seems a lot less concerned about ingratiating himself to voters than she does. What's wrong with this picture? So what does it have to do with the setup right now, where some money managers started betting against a trade deal because of exactly what I'm talking about? Simple. If President Trump reads the papers, no assurances there. Then he may say to himself, wait, wait a second. I got this fella, she. I got him on the ropes. American manufacturers pouring out of China. Heck with the guy. Let's walk away until he's willing to give us more of what we want. Hey, why not? If you're the president, have, you, have your minions make a series of impossible demands. How about a commitment to buy millions of Apple iPhone 10s? Uh, Caterpillar uh, tractors, all the bells and whistles on them. A pledge to build the world's biggest factory in Detroit. Why not throw in a demand to buy any planes that Boeing makes with a $100 billion escrow payment? Oh, let's not forget the baseline stuff, like a ban on stealing intellectual property and insistence that our companies can operate in China without forming joint ventures with local companies that are completely bogus. If President Xi is really on the ropes, and I'm starting to think he might be, that I can easily see our government making a series of impossible quests that, when rejected, allow President Trump to walk away ultimately push China to accept much harsher terms than they would have been willing to when this process started. Come on, he'd love that. Hey, base would eat it up. The base! And while that might be good for the United States over the long haul, in the short term, well, let's just say that a lot of American stocks would get hurt without a trade deal. I'm not saying this is how things are going to play out, but I see plenty of signs that major investors are starting to bet on that outcome in today's session and yesterday, too. First, let's see. What are some ones that I'm looking at that are selling at Micron, Sybil MU? It's been trending down. It's actually been pretty ugly. It's a stock that's totally caught up in the trade war. Could stand to lose a great deal if the semis end up being excluded from Chinese goods in favor of chips from Korea. I see the semiconductor capital equipment stocks getting hammered, and they're truly part of the chain that could be hurt the most if China decides to ban their products. Take a look at the stocks of 3M, Caterpillar, Boeing, all linked with China. They've all gotten weaker, and Apple's stock seems to have run into a wall. These are all signs that a trade deal might prove to be more elusive than we think, either because the talks aren't going well or because Trump may realize he's got more to gain, that he's got the upper hand, that he's got the cards from walking away from the negotiations. Now that he's clearly, clearly, I'd say, oh, man, doesn't that is that symbolic that he's clearly got the upper hand? Don't forget, Trump's all about the art of the deal. And right now, that may mean it's time to play hardball. Something Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been indicating could be happening right now. While the stocks that get hurt in a no-deal scenario are telling this story, the real standouts are the winners here. The stocks that have no exposure to China, namely FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, a.k.a. Alphabet, they're flying. There's a lot to like about these companies. As we've heard from retailer to retailer, they're still spending a fortune on Instagram to influence um, influencers, thought leaders even. That's all Facebook, and I think it's a huge buy here. Yep, right here. But the analysts who like it, well, they're all so afraid they're going to pick up the paper and it's going to turn out that they sold, I don't know, their mothers to whatever. Who knows what they do at Facebook? What do they do at Facebook? I, I, we write the stuff, right? Alphabet's showing some leg these days, even letting Salesforce talk about how it's become a super important client. It's got so much going for it right now, and it's not getting enough credit. As a matter of fact, it's really probably one of the most under-owned uh, and hated stocks I know. 
Uh, and remember, they have zero exposure to China. Amazon is far flung, but its latest initiatives have nothing to do with the People's Republic, including its partnership with Coal, symbol KSS, basically making that strip more powerhouse into a wholesaler for Amazon products and a center for its turns. You see KSS today? That stock was going down until they started talking about the Amazon partnership. I, I, I don't, when I think of Coal, I don't think of China. You? Netflix, also no exposure to China. Suddenly, the FANG stocks are once again the perfect growth stocks for the moment. Can you believe it? Trump could walk away from the negotiations. These names just go up. It's not just those visible techs. The bedraggled healthcare insurers, well, they started finally catching a bit after some hideous days. Domestic. Now, these winners and losers may be logical hedges based on what's going on with the trade war. President Trump believes he's, he's given big business enough of, of a boost with his tax cuts. He can afford to alienate business, a little tough love to China. The wild card, the president may not want the stock market to go down because he, he views the averages as his Nielsen ratings, and he cares tremendously about his Nielsen's. The bottom line, at the end of the day, I don't think these bets on the trade negotiations are being made with great conviction. However, if the president reads or hears enough about these she-in-trouble stories, you have to believe there is a decent chance that he'll walk away to see if he can get a better bargaining position. That may prove to be good for the country, but in the near term, It'd be pretty darn rough for the stock market. I want to go to Tim in New Jersey. Tim. How you doing, Jim? Tim, I'm good. How about you? All right. Uh, I'm 54. I recently retired, and I'm calling about Boston Beer, symbol SAM Sam. I bought it at an eight, uh, as an IPO at 13. Wow. I've had it for over, I had it for over 15 years now. The question I have is, it seems like it has this head and shoulders effect a few times in the last few years. And I don't know whether to buy or sell or what. And it also seems to hit resistance about 310. I don't know what I should do with that. If you buy well, I more. think that, you know, look, first of all, congratulations. This is uh, how you make big money in the market. And it does happen. This gentleman retired. He's got it. I think that Sam is actually one of the few beer companies that's doing well. I, now, if you had, you should take out your basis, obviously, because then you play with the house's money. But, uh, you know, they're doing well. And they're doing Geez, I think they may be doing better than Constellation right here. Although STZ is still responsible for most of the growth in that category. Let's go to John in New Jersey. John. John, on the boardwalk from the Jersey Shore, exit 98, ball bell trading approach for 2019. I did great with HFC. I wanted to know your thoughts on LTHM, Live and Corp, a spinoff of FMC. All right, well, I'm exit, I'm exit uh, 103, so just so we know get down. I can take, I also can take 105 if I have to. Um, all right. Now, I don't like the lithium markets right now. I do like Philadelphia where that company's fa- uh, is, but I go to Ocean Grove. And at Ocean Grove, we don't buy Levent Corp. We don't buy lithium. We just buy nice people and say hi to each other. Now, these shorts and longs aren't being put on with great conviction, but you have to believe that the president will walk away if he starts reading all these articles about how she has to start worrying about popular opinion. I'm telling you that she might be a little more precarious than people think. Man, buddy, tonight, this product's using more than one million surgeries a year, but with rivals like, oh, well, you got the Johnson Johnson moving in there. Uh, can Intuitive Surgical position itself? Well, how about Medtronic? They went in, too. The CEO is joining me here for the first time tonight. It's a big book, booking, and someone worked for a year to get it. Then Fang stocks have lost their bite in this market. Or could a, a few of these toothy stocks soon pull away? I'm going to go off the charts for a couple of weeks to talk about. And a small corner of Jack Dorsey's empire could help countless small businesses. I'm talking empowerment with the head of Square Capital. I know you love that company. To see how it differentiates itself with it in a very competitive market. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Right now, we are witnessing a wave of consolidation in the healthcare space. You know all about the big pharma players that are acquiring smaller biotech firms to bulk up their pipelines. But we're also seeing something similar in the medical device space, particularly when it comes to surgical robots. Like last year, Medtronic snapped up Mazor Robotics. Then a few weeks ago, J&J bought Oris Health. Clearly, these companies think there's a real value in this industry. And the king of the robotic-assisted surgery space is Intuitive Surgical, a stock that you know I have praised since we basically started the show, ISRG, for all you home games. Their Da Vinci surgical system helps doctors perform all sorts of minimally invasive surgical procedures much more reliably than if they're doing it by themselves. And I got to tell you, this business is on fire. When ISRG reported its most recent uh, results at the end of January, the quarter had a little hair on it, minor earnings miss, even as everything else was very strong, and the stock sold off. But upon further review, the whole miss was driven by a $25 million charitable donation. Meanwhile, the business is doing great. They sold 290 machines, up 34% year-over-year. Nice growth. And even better, more than 70% of their revenues are now recurring because they sell consumables that get used up every time a doctor performs a procedure on their hardware. That's huge. No wonder the stock quickly turned around. Plus, they recently got FDA approval for a new product, the Ion Endoluminal System. I knew it was a tongue tongue twister for me. For conducting minimally invasive lung biopsies, we're going to call it the Ion. So could the stock have more upside? Let's check in with Gary Goddard. He's the president and CEO of Intuitive Surgical. Do you have a better sense of where his company is headed? Gary, welcome to Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. Have a seat. Thanks so much for having us up. I've got to tell you, I've wanted your company on. Well, basically, since we started the show, because uh, I know the product. I think it's just fabulous. But it's now more than a product. It's a big ecosystem. And I just wish you'd tell people how huge it is and can be. Great. Well, thanks so much. And thank you for having us out. I know we've been trying to get this on the books for a while. Yeah, I'm so glad it worked out. Uh, You know, the way we look at it, uh, we're in the business of helping our customers, which are hospitals and surgeons, deliver for their customers, the patients, the quadruple aim. Better outcomes, uh, better patient experience, better experience for the healthcare team and lower total cost to treat. So what does that look like? Last year in 2018, uh, surgeons used our products a million times. Our total experience uh, to date is uh, 6 million procedures. And, and in 2018, we grew, our surgeons uh, 
using our products grew their procedures 18% for the year. As you said, we're getting ready to launch the endoluminal product, Ion, and, uh, and a couple of other products, SP. So it's an exciting time talk for about, us. Talk about the single port. Talk about the Ion because these are things that people may not be familiar that you have that are really in your arsenal now. Wonderful. Um, you know, the way we think about it, you talk about great outcomes, and one of them is how do you get into and out of the body with less damage to healthy tissue? We know that lung cancer is a major disease state, and the early diagnosis of lung cancer is likely to create um, better outcomes, better long-term outcomes for people if you can find it sooner. Uh, this product goes uh, transorally into the lungs. It uses computer systems to help navigate to where a well, suspicious... Transorally, what does that mean? So uh, the, uh, this uh, flexible catheter goes through the mouth. So instead of making any cuts, there are no cuts, it goes into the body and navigates the lungs with uh, computer-aided control. And the idea is to pull definitive diagnosis forward in time. So somebody who has a suspicious lesion gets a definitive diagnosis earlier. That's the goal. We just had... It's incredible. A five, it's, it's a fantastic... When I was in ninth grade, this book came out called Fantastic Voyage. And it was made... That's Fantastic Voyage. There's a lot like it. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's remarkable. Now, talk about reliability, because I think that when I did a fundraiser for my local hospital, the thing that really stuck out for me when we got a Da Vinci machine was that you should go to our hospital, because our hospital is now more reliable than the ones that don't have it. Yeah, so you know what are what are hospitals seeking to deliver for their for their patient community? They want to have um, the best outcomes, but they also need predictable outcomes, and they need technologies and ecosystems. Not just the technology, not just the product, but everything that goes around it: analytics, training, um, uh, proctoring, other things that help get a great result. And so you want that great result to be predictable, not just possible but predictable. So the products have to be reliable and the process has to be reliable. Now, J&J and Medtronic are two great companies, as we know, and they want in. They see that there's great profits to be had, but they're also fabulous companies in being reliable. We all respect them. Can they um, come in directly against Intuitive or are they in different parts of, uh, uh, of the body? Um, we'll see over time. Clearly, mm. there are some companies that have entered the space in orthopedics, um, hips and knees, uh, and spine, and, and Intuitive is not currently in that space. Okay. So in some places, they're bringing robotic surgery to uh, other parts of the body. Uh, there's clearly an interest to come and do the kinds of things we do as well. Um, honestly, we see that as validation. Uh, we've been at it for a long time. I started this in, uh, in this space. I didn't start the company in 1993. Uh, so it's, to us, inevitable. And I'll, I think the way we think about it is the following. There's an assessment. What can be improved? And customers will share with you that. They're very open. Then there's design, development, and deployment. Those are hard to do. The magic is doing all of that well. And I think they have smart people. They're going to have to do it. Sure. But I think we're quite well positioned. When we talked about the, the goal, it's not a mystery. we got better outcomes. But the recurring revenue model, I always, people always want to say raise or raise but I always say intuitive surgical to intuitive surgicals consumables. Because, it look, these are not Elliot Mosner institutions. You make money, but you make money in a very, I think, terrific way. Because the more you use, obviously, you should be paid for that. And that, and that happens. Yeah, so we look at um, creating value with our customer. And, and so how does that happen? Well, if you get better outcomes and you're more predictable, then you can lower the total cost to treat per patient episode. And that's the most important thing. Um, these products are sensitive and sophisticated. And so we want the performance of our instruments, the things that snap onto the robot, to be highly reliable throughout their useful life. 
And so they're used multiple times. They're clean within the hospital, but over time they wear out. When they wear out, we help replace them. Now, how about China? I know that they have a quota system there, which seems surprising to me. Why wouldn't you have as many ISRG machines as possible? But you're, you're, China has huge hospitals. I, I, to me, you, your new device uh, for lung cancer, they have a million people die of respiratory illnesses there. So this is a natural fit with China. Right. Uh, over time, we're very interested in helping the Chinese healthcare market, both in our Da Vinci space right now, as right. well as the ION space. We have a good uh, partner in China, uh, in Fosun Pharma. We've created a joint venture with them. Uh, right now, we are supply constrained because of the way the supply quota system works. So oh, uh, yeah. not from a point of view of production, we can produce systems, but in terms of how many we can deliver. Uh, that's, we've just gotten a new quota. We just got an XI, approval for our latest generation product, the XI. Uh, we have a good team in China, so we, we're getting excited about it. You are absolutely right. Lung cancer is a serious issue in China. They have a large unmet need, and we expect to see ION over time uh, make a difference in that market. Do you follow the, the trade talks, or is this just something totally separate by the healthcare system, which really wants to save as many lives as they can? Well, we, we are impacted by the environment as it is. So on the one hand, um, for, for sure, uh, we would like to see easier uh, business opportunities and relationships, but we deal with the world as it is, not as we'd like it to be. Well, we're play. quite pragmatic about it. and. Um, Right now, we, we uh, feel like we're making progress. All right. Well, you've, done, you've made more than progress for your shareholders and for the system and, of course, the most importantly, the customers, which is the patient. Okay, that is Gary Gutter. He's CEO of Intuitive Surgical, ISRG. You know I've liked this stock for years. And it's one of the stocks I always say in every sell-off, you should be buying the stock of ISRG. Man, money's back here. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. For ages, the FANG stocks were this market's general's. They consistently let us hard. But then that fourth quarter of last year, geez, Fang fell out of, out of favor. Uh, Facebook and Netflix had already started rolling over. Then Amazon, Alphabet, nay, Google, joined them in the meat grinder. I mean, the whole group sold off dramatically. And even when they rebounded off the Christmas bottom along with the rest of the market, Fang never really regained its leadership status. As a matter of fact, I think Fang's been a big problem for the market because it acts so deadly. Instead, what happened? Well, the growth-oriented semiconductor stocks got hot. The cloud kings became the new generals of tech, while Fang was demoted to rear echelon duty. But with the market suddenly turning against those high flyers, could this be the moment where Fang gets its groove back? Tonight, we're going off the charts with help of Dan Fitzpatrick. He's the terrific technician who's the founder and president of Stock Market Mentor. Well, he's been my colleague and an old friend at RealMoney.com because he's seeing something incredibly intriguing in Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet. Based on the action in these stocks, he thinks they could be ready to roar, particularly Facebook 
and Alphabet. And hey, Fitz, but look at this. Fitz has got a record. I mean, it's a great track record. When it comes to battered internet stocks, on January 22nd, I used this stuff. He told us that many of the Chinese web plays have bottomed, and their stocks were ready to rebound. I mean, stocks like YY and JD.com. Since then, JD.com stock is up 35%. Since then, off the charts. YY gained nearly 20%. When he told me about those two, I know many greeted his call with great derision. He certainly attacked me enough on uh, Twitter. It's the kind of cat calls normally reserved for like a real bad college draft. So when he tells us that Facebook and Amazon uh, and Alphabet have potential here, particularly Facebook and Alphabet, we got to take them seriously. So let's start with a chart. And it's going to be beautiful. You're going to be surprised. A Facebook, which got obliterated last year as investors worried that the company's bad behavior could drive away its user base. Every day it seemed like there was another story about how Facebook was practically selling your personal data to the highest bidder. Uh, the stock went down st- too far too fast, though. And as the new year rolled around, Facebook started rebounding along with everything else. Their business dry up. Didn't dry up. And then the company put a blowout quarter at the end of January. It turns out nobody really seems to care that much about privacy. At least the customers don't. But we love that the company seems ready to rein in its spending in order to boost its margins. And the stock exploded higher although it's still roughly 47 points away from its all-time high. At these levels, Fitz points out that Facebook has broken out above the 200-day. Very bullish. That's a long-term measure of the stock's trajectory. Huge for technicians. There are tons of traders who never even consider owning a stock that's below its 200-day moving average. For them, Facebook is buyable. Now, you see these uh, black lines bordering the action? All right. They're known as Bollinger Bands, okay? So you step back and take a look at these. And you can tell, I can tell you that the black line is key. It's lately, Fitz, Fitz says that Facebook's been experiencing what's called a volatility squeeze. The Bollinger Bands are separated by just 7%. Look how tight things are, okay? Uh, and why does this matter? Because volatility tends to be cyclical. Stocks that have dramatic moves that tend to get sleepy and trade sideways for a while before making another big move, and that big move is huge. Fitzpatrick notes that Facebook has been in this resting phase since its big spike in late January. Look at this. It's doing nothing, right? It's doing absolutely nothing. That's been since late January. Late last week, Facebook started breaking out, and Fitz thinks the volatility squeeze could result in some significant upside. So it's not just resting. It's about to take off. What else? Facebook has now retraced 50% of the decline from July till December. Okay, so it's up, you know, 5-0 of that. Uh, Often stocks experience profit taking at a 50% retracement. But that's not happening here. Again, that's a very positive sign. Put it all together and Fitz thinks that Facebook could be rallying to 200 bucks. It's got a couple of caveats. Stock's recent breakout above 170 is very important. If it breaks down below that level, the story gets less positive. If Facebook falls below 160, Fitzpatrick says it invalidates the bullish thesis. Entirely. But for the moment, he thinks it's headed higher. Today's breakout above 170 is a huge step. Now, you watch that stock all day and you watch how it did yesterday and you can tell something's going on here, right? This thing's got mojo. Next up, there's a daily chart of another one that looks great. Alphabet. Spent a lot of time in the wilderness. Uh, This is the parent of Google. This is another stock that has been working lately, yet still remains well off its old highs. Fitz believes that there's a lot to like about this picture. Like Facebook, Alpha's been an uptrend since breaking out above its 50-day moving average in January. So look at this nice uptrend, okay? People don't talk about it much. Then Alphabet had a failed breakout in early February. That was a true bummer. This is what really kind of, you know, that faked people out, all right? Uh, and it's, the stock popped above its 200-day moving average before selling off a couple of days later. Fake out. Fitz says there wasn't enough demand from new buyers to soak up all the supply from the sellers who wanted to ring the register. In short, Alphabet needed more time to, like what we showed with Facebook, rest. 
Fast forward to last week, Alphabet once again breaks out above the 200-day moving average, and the stock has now uh, rallied for eight consecutive days. Even better, it's done so on rising volume. This is good volume there. All right. Uh, to fix that means that Alphabet's no longer consolidating. It's now under accumulation, where big institutional money managers are eager to buy it hand over fist. You saw that all day today and yesterday. So far this year, Alphabet's made a series of higher lows, but the stock couldn't seem to rally above its ceiling of resistance, which formed a symmetrical triangle pattern. There's your triangle. Okay. Uh, this is a continuation pattern where stock marks time before resuming its previous move. Now that output is broken out above the triangle, it is on fire, with the stock currently at its highest levels in five months. Fitz's conclusion, as long as Alphabet holds above 1,100, which is down nearly 70 points, 70 bucks from here, he thinks the stock can keep climbing. And it might have a lot more room to run. So, again, like Facebook, this is our goal. Okay, that's our target. And this could be breached. So I think this and Facebook are fabulous, fabulous charts. Okay, finally, there's a daily chart of Amazon, which is a little different. Facebook and Alphabet have already broken out. Amazon's still resting, even as the stock's done pretty well over the past week. Now, what's the deal here? Uh, Simple. Amazon's still trapped between its 50-day moving average and its 200-day moving average. So it's the red and the blue. Okay. Remember I told you people don't like to buy it below the 200-day moving average? That's a no-buy zone for a lot of chart watchers. So according to Fitz, there's a lot of supply at these levels that still needs to be absorbed. He likes the fact that the stock folded higher on Friday with very heavy volume. But the 200-day moving average of 1,726 continues to act as Amazon's ceiling of resistance. And it can't seem to get past that. And that's why Fitz thinks it's too early to start buying Amazon here. I did disagree with that, but this is what he said. There's very little advantage to buying stock that might break out. You risk losing money if the breakout never materializes or if it fails. This is how technicians view the world. For Fitz, it's better to wait for confirmation that Amazon can rally above its 200-day moving average without triggering a cascade of profit-taking that pushes the stock right back down. You may pay a slightly higher price from a technical perspective, there are a very few, but there are fewer ways for your trade to go wrong. Remember, I'm doing investing. My Chapel Trust owns this stock. We don't care about any of this. Okay, We think it's ultimately going to go like this. But traders want to wait for the confirmation above that 200. So for Fitz, Amazon's a stock to watch, but not yet a stock to buy. He's just waiting for a breakout here rather than anticipating. If the stock can rally about 30 points from here and then hold at that level, then he thinks you've got to snap it up. On the other hand, if Amazon drops below its 50-day moving average at 1610, well, it's probably not worth the effort. Now, my view, I like the fundamentals here. I think the stock gets cheaper as they go lower. It's not something you should dump. But you may need some patience if you're going to own, not rent, Amazon here. The bottom line, the charts interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggest that at least some parts of Fang have gotten the groove back. He thinks Facebook and Alphabet are both worth buying at these levels, but says you should wait for a real breakout before you pick up some Amazon. And you know what? Based on Fitz's recent track record, along with the underlying fundamentals, I'd be a buyer of both Alphabet and, more importantly, Facebook right here. The latter is particularly tempting. Facebook, given what we're learning about how the company may be finally reining in its spending, and widening its profit margin, something that nobody thinks is about to happen. I want to go to Mike Life, Mike in Massachusetts. Mike. It's a pleasure to be speaking with the goat on Same. Wall Street. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Me and my good friends Larson and Bill listen to you every day. Thank you for all you do for Thank us. Thank you. So I wanted to pick your brain today about uh, Kramer Fave Zora, ticker ZUO. Yes. Um, I'm a huge believer in the subscription economy, um, and... I recently noticed a downgrade from Goldman Sachs with a $18 price target, right? as well as a lot of recent insider selling. Um, I'm getting a little concerned about that. As a long-term holder, 
Should that be a concern? Well, Sarge Guilfoyle, Sarge Guilfoyle, who writes with me at the street, it's his favorite stock of the year. I thought that the Goldman downgrade was, was you know, really a little bit too much. I think Teen Zoo's doing a remarkable job. It's not an expensive stock. Uh, and I know that it's kind of stuck in this range, but I, too, am a big believer in the subscription economy. I would own the stock here, and I'm not that fearful of it. Uh, I'm not. I think business is good. Let's go to Mark in New York, please. Mark. Hi, Kramer. Hey, I'm calling about I'm calling about the data management and storage company NetApp. I purchased it a couple of months ago when it pulled back from its highs, but they had disappointing sales in their third quarter with mixed guidance for Q4. Now, their co-founder and vice president Dave Heitz is retiring. I know you don't like to see that. So what do you think? Well, look, I, they missed the quarter. I got so many that made the quarter that are down anyway. Why do I need one that missed the quarter? I know that sounds like uh, too brutal, but that's the way I play it. I mean, why did they miss? I think you got to stay away from that one. There's no reason to it. All right, some parts of Fang have definitely gotten their group back. I think FB and Outfit are worth buying right here. Maybe wait for the breakout before picking up Amazon. My Chapel Trust owns all three. Amazon, biggest position for ActionWorksPlus.com. Join the club. Much more mad money at Square is best known for its credit card readers that plug into smartphones. But could its move into small business loans elbow big banks aside? I've got the head of Square Capital. I know this is because you guys love Square. We answered your call. Then, betting against Penny off after the stock drop? You know, I, I can tell you why history says that that may be the wrong move. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. One of the great underappreciated stories of this year is the way that payment technology companies are branching out into the money lending business. Take Square, which you probably recognize from its point of sale technology that can turn any phone or tablet into a credit card reader, or its cash app that's taking share in the peer-to-peer payment space. But for me, actually, the most intriguing part of the story is Square Capital. See, thanks to the point of sales uh, systems, Square has an enormous amount of data about how much money their clients are actually making. If you're one of the small, medium-sized businesses that uses Square, they don't really have their finger on the pulse of your cash register. That gives them a better view of your prospects than, say, a, a bank. Plus, Square Capital doesn't need to worry as much as be, about being paid back because they can collect interest payments directly from a business, uh, business receipts. And we're going to talk to you more about how they have been actually one of the most conservative lenders I've ever seen. Now, Square stock sold off hard last week after the company reported the results were strong. But the guidance for next quarter was perceived by some as a little light, given that the stock had run up dramatically, which is what I think was more important. Anything less than perfection was going to be punished. But I like this story, and you know I have for it. Since it was 12 bucks, I especially like that Square Capital facilitated 72 thousand business loans, totaling 472 million last year, up 55% year over year. So I think it's time to take a closer look with Jackie Reeses, the chief people officer of Square and the head of Square Capital, learn more about how they're revolutionizing the lending industry. Ms. Reeses, welcome to Mad Money. Hi. Good to see you, Jackie. How are you? Wonderful. Our past ever crossing Goldman, and I'm a client. In full, in full disclosure of Square, we haven't crossed there, so I welcome know. to the show. I know. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I think your points about the access that Square Capital provides are spot on. You know, our ability to extend access to small businesses who've never had access to credit, I'm very appreciative for your, uh, your well, comments. Well, look, you've got these restaurants that, make 600, that have 650,000 reps, okay? And they, I've got to take because I'm in that business. It, unless you're incredibly well capitalized, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. But you may be a real good payer. Only Square empowers you, though. 
Yeah, no, agree. And we've done a lot of business with restaurants across the country. It's a huge portion of our business. And I think one of the unique differentiators of our product is that we could see the data that comes across payments. So we can see the success of these businesses like restaurants who've historically been left out of the financial system because of the type of business that they are. But the reality is they're wonderful businesses. And if they just had access to, to credit, we could help them grow. We could help them get through weekends. We can help them get through variations in their cash flow. And I think that's why we're so proud of the product that we have. Well, when I first met Sarah Fryer, I said, who's now moved on to next door, which is a cool opportunity. Yep. I said, no, come on. You're telling me if the restaurant thinly capitalized, you got a couple of snowstorms and some weekends, that they don't stiff you. And she explained, no, they're good risks for you. So they're great risk. And so what happens is that a seller, assuming that they're processing consistently on Square, on their dashboard, we let them know that they have a loan that's available. And it shows up every day that they continue to be eligible. And they could click on a screen, three screens through, and with the next day, they could have the capital. And so when you see that weather might change, you might need to buy something. Something breaks. You want to build a new facility. You take out the loan, and it gives you the flexibility where, let's just say in that situation where it snows, and you're closed for three days. Well, the way our product works, it's very flexible. You pay back with a percentage of card swipes. And so in slow days, you wouldn't pay any of the loan back. And then on faster days, it obviously pays back more. And so the average payback period for our loans is about 10 months. But it gives small businesses that flexibility when they need it in just the situation you're talking about. Your default ratio seems appreciably lower than most lending institutions. So uh, we're proud of um, our default rate. We say that it is approximately 4%. And the way we think about defaults is that it's an input, not an output. And so we look at how we manage risk and how we uh, make sure that we're being prudent from a risk management point of view, but also look at how we can open up access to small businesses that have otherwise not been allowed into the financial system. One thing that's exciting, and I, we should have gotten the cash. You got to come back. There's so much the cash app, the yep. deposit. But I like the square to square seller where they, you are actually waive the 2.75. Yeah, Which on, is really on the new Square card. So yeah. um, we announced not too long ago the beautiful Square card. It's white. It's gorgeous. And it's a debit card for businesses. And so it makes a business's life much easier in that they could go spend on the receipts that they have brought in. Liquidity and giving instant cash to our sellers has always been really important to us. It's about speed. Right. Uh, and as a restaurateur, you see it, too, on Friday oh, night. of course. If you need to go buy more supplies, you need something like a Square card in order to go spend money at your local supplier. And the Square card gives that ability to small businesses. It's a really great tool that we're it, proud of. I would be remiss not to tell you that we use Caviar because it's the best in a very competitive environment. And the ecosystem really works. Great restaurants on Caviar. The best, right? <laughs> right. Last, last thing. Um, versus Venmo. Room for everybody. You did 47.6 million downloads. They're doing 42.8. You're pretty competitive. Yeah, so Cash App has been on a great run. And um, we announced on our earnings call that we now have 15 million monthly active customers. Um, and they've seen incredible growth. But if you look at what they've released in the past year, um, buying um, Bitcoin in a really seamless way, a debit card, ATM access, their uh, Cash App card is absolutely beautiful, black, laser etched. 
handwriting. Cool. It's so easy to use that it's just a great product. Well, I'm so glad you came on. We want to do more and more with Square because this part of the new economy that I like, empowerment. Empowerment. That's what matters. That's Jackie Reese. She's the head of Square Capital. Doing good. Purpose-led, okay? The purpose-led companies are the ones that we want to bank on in 2019. Ed Money's back at the break. It is time! It's time for the Labor Goes Up Raptors. One of the same and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, it's over the lightning round. I'm starting with Greg in Minnesota. Greg. Jimbo Jamboree, how are you, sir? I'm doing real well there, partner. How are you? Not bad. Good. AMT, buy, seller, whatever. AMT, AM, AMP, Merp Price? Boom. Ah. I've always liked that company. It's been, it pulls back periodically, and you have to be a buyer. Let's go to Chase in California. Chase. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from Irvine, California. Oh, man. I love Irvine. Nice and warm. What's up? It's a great place. Just want to give a quick shout-out to my dad who introduced me to your show when I was growing up. Absolutely. That's uh, what I like. Yeah, my question is, if I'm bullish on the solar industry, is Vivint Solar, VSLR, the right stock for me to be in? No, first solar would be. I'm not bullish in the industry, but you did qualify it. And hello to your dad. You did qualify it as being something you wanted to buy. So I, my gift to you is first solar, not the vid. Let's go to La, LaDarren. LaDarren in Washington. LaDarren. Hey, how you doing, Jim? LaDarren, I, am, I am doing hey, well. How about you? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm calling about uh, Ship Finance International, ticker SFL. I don't trust the shipping stocks. They've always lost everybody in this room a lot of money, so we're not going to do that. Not that anybody can invest. I'm just saying they've been losers. Let's go to Charles in California. Charles. Booyah, my brother. Oh, my oh yeah. IIPR, Innovative Industrial Properties. Uh, you know, honestly, God, I do not know why that does so much better than the REITs that I like. We're going to have to do more work. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I can't just say buy it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Let's go to Burns. Mr. Burns in Pennsylvania. Burns. Hey, Jim. I've been listening since November of 2015. All right, that's good enough to do the job. What's, how come we go to work together? Uh, first time caller, I'm interested in international paper. Well, it's a point in the cycle to buy them, but it does have a 4% yield, so I'm never going to sneer something with a 4% yield and, and a good balance sheet, which is what IP has, and they make paper, and I am very environmentally more prone toward paper than I am toward plastic. Jacob in North Dakota. Jacob! Hey, Jim, I'm looking to take a risk on a software-as-a-service company. I've been looking at Blackline, who specializes in continuous accounting software. Okay, now, it, it is a cloud-based accounting company. It does, it's a small vertical. Your hope there would that they would be bought by a larger company because it doesn't have the scale you need, but I'll endorse it because it is in the right spot. Let's go to Jules in Massachusetts. Jules. Jules, uh, Jim, ba 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 booyah, my man. How are All you? All right, man, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks. I was looking at uh, Cargurus. Yeah. Which one? I know, it, it, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not getting. It. Look, I want to. I want to own AutoZone if I'm going to own that area. AutoZone is as close as I want to get to that stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
sellers always give them the benefit of the doubt over the buyers, sometimes it feels like the bulls lack all conviction and the bears are full of passionate intensity. The moment a stock goes down, the sellers take it as vindication that they were right, the buyers were wrong, and they refuse to hear differently. Just look at Salesforce CRM. Last night, the company reported a great quarter with tepid guidance about the next quarter. Not the next year, by the way, which they said would be terrific, but the current quarter. And the stock rolled over. just got crushed. Although if you sold it at the lows this morning, you may be feeling a little bit like a dope because the stock only rebounded more than two bucks from those levels, closing off just $1.53. At one point, by the way, the stock was down more than four points. It recovered nicely from that level. Still, the bears know they're right, don't they? Otherwise, the stock wouldn't have been down at all. It's kind of a totally circular argument when you think about it. Here's the thing. Salesforce has roared higher for years, and all along the way, there's been a legion of doubters. Every time the company stumbles, the doubters feel vindicated, and they act like they've finally been proven right. Every time, it's been a mistake, but that doesn't deter them. Now, I used to be one of those bears. In 2007, 2008, I was worried about Salesforce.com. The stock had rallied dramatically going into the Great Recession, and then it lost more than half of its value when the market melted down. I told people to stay away from this company with revenue growth but no earnings. I was adamant. But then I met Mark Benioff, the visionary co-founder and co-CEO of Salesforce. He came on the show over a decade ago, and he's patiently explained why I was wrong. He never once called me a knucklehead. At first, I didn't understand why businesses would pay this guy and his company something like seven figures. Uh, now they do eight figures in orders just to figure out what, uh, what their customers want. I mean, don't they know or how to stay in touch with them using software? Don't you know what kind of Pied Piper says that if you send all your data to Amazon Web Services, actually take it outside of the servers that you have on premises, rip out Oracle, which is your database, and you'll end up making more money if you listen to Salesforce about your customers. What a bunch of what arrogance. I figured it was some, maybe it was like some sort of Ponzi scheme. I don't know. I, mean, I tut-tutted the stock. and went from eight to five. Benioff was not deterred. During the darkest days of the Great Recession, the fall of 2008, he came on the show and he predicted that Salesforce, which had generated $749 million in sales in 2008 fiscal, would hit a billion in sales the next year. Well, next thing I knew, the stock was back to eight. And he exceeded that revenue target. Big time. Now, during this period, Benioff convinced me that if Salesforce could keep generating this kind of revenue growth, revenue growth, not earnings growth, revenue growth, the company would eventually be able to give me all the earnings I wanted if it wanted to show him. He also said that he'd never stop investing in the business until he hit $10 billion in sales. Eventually, his sales force signed up customer after customer after customer in all sorts of different verticals. I realized that Benioff was a real deal. Sure enough, now and then, of course, the company may hit a speed bump. But I realized those speed bumps, they were all buying opportunities, which is why I've been pounding the table on this stock for a decade now. I've almost never wavered on this one. And even every time, by the way, I, I got at least spooked like some people last night, I ultimately regretted it. Benioff kept beating the revenue estimates and revenue. I beat them and beat them and beat them. Sure enough, the company's now got more earnings than they know what to do with. Now, last week, the stock hit an all-time high of 166. Last night, Benioff gave us another one of those short-term, short-fill predictions. Uh, remember, he didn't miss the quarter. He just said the next quarter's not going to be what the consensus is. But then he said, you know what, look, the future's going to be as great as ever. The fact that he actually raised his full-year revenue guidance to $16 billion at the midpoint, that's more than 20% growth year over year, seemed to mean nothing to the bears at all. It didn't matter that Benioff laid out plans to double the company's sales over the next four years organically. It didn't matter anything. It's not what people focused on. They saw the stock go down. They read the guidance for the next quarter. They saw the headlines. And they figured, well, hey, I got to sell. In fact, that's putting it mildly. If you read my Twitter feed, You'll see people calling Benioff a fraud, me a fraud, me an idiot, me a childhood, all for backing him and his Pied Piper predictions, and it was going to go down 15, 20, 25%. Thank you. Why are they so self-assured? Because the stock pulled back from 166 to 156? 
Never mind that 166 was the stock's all-time high, and it's been a huge multiple-year winner. To me, this is all kind of nutty. Every time Salesforce.com has gotten ding, you know what it happened to be? A buying opportunity. And guess what? I'm betting this time, no different. Stick with Craig. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Should have talked more about the start of the day, which is Kohl's KSS. Nice tie up with Amazon. Like I said, there's always more. I can start my punch. I'll find just for you right here on Main Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.